You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world. But there is no manifesto, there's no rules about it. It is, there's no official you belong or you don't belong. It's you make it what you want and it's made by the thousands of little daily interactions between all the different people with various others. My sister recently moved to a new suburb and one day asked me if I'd like to come over and help her as it was her turn to milk the neighbourhood goats. Intrigued, I agreed and after meeting at her house and safariing through four separate but connected backyards, found myself sitting on a stool surrounded by chooks and goats. Known as the hood by those who consider themselves part of it, this group of closely located households emerged and is still emerging without intentional planning, but flowed naturally from decisions one household made about what living a good and ethical life meant to them. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Maria Cameron about the subtle disruption of a suburban neighbourhood. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to be part of the podcast, Maria. Yeah. Do you want to start by talking about where we are today? Yeah, so we are at what we call the Hibi Farm. The what farm, sorry? The Hibi Farm. Hibi, yeah. H-I-B-I, not to be confused with hippie. Yeah. <laughs> it's because we live on Hibiscus Court. And okay. so we just shortened, you know, we referred to our house as Hibi. Hibi, yeah. And the other reason that we have a name for it is because we're two couples that own the house. So we can't just yeah. say this is Maria and Edwin's house. Yeah. It's me and my partner. Because um, it's me, my partner, my sister and her husband yeah um and we started to call it a farm when we got dairy goats and we thought at the time we also had bees so like we've got bees we had ducks we've got chooks yeah and goats and we thought right we can call this a farm yeah so that's where we are and we're on the deck out the back in the garden um and yeah this is home yeah Hmm. um now we're in suburban melbourne Yes. We're not in rural Victoria, anything like that. Yeah. So it's a it's a farm in pretty high density surroundings. Yeah. 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 So it's a bit smaller than the usual quarter acre block. Yeah. Um, and every time we have to describe it a bit more formally, we'd say it's a micro suburban farm. Yeah. And you know, it's a joke when we talk to real farmers <laughs> <laughs> that have like broad acre, um, you know, proper. Farms, but in the but the other reason that we like to call it a farm is because um, we use a lot of what we grow and we live off this tiny little bit of land a lot. Yeah. We're t- we're not at all self-sufficient. Like that's a complete, not even a dream. It's not something we want to achieve. But we we there's a degree of production here, like mm. in terms of uh, what we get from from this little bit of land that. We wanted to call it a farm, yeah, and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's go through some of the things that you do actually have here, where we can see the goats, and I've actually milked yeah. the goats here yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you get milk from those. So we've got everything. milk from the goats. Yeah. Um, the main reason we've we've got two dairy goats here. That's because I mean it's a tiny space. Yeah. Um. So we've got the two goats here so that they have company, but we also have my parents have. Um, live out in research and they have a bit more land there yep. um, and we've got three goats out there too so okay. we've got four does that we rotate around all right so they get like more space yeah um, and a time off milking um, but we ha- always have two dairy goats here and so we get milk from them but the main reason that we had the goats is actually for manure for the garden so that was right. the motivation <laughs> and yeah. the milk was this extra thing yeah um, but then the milks become really important 
in terms of having an ethical source of milk and we all are like dairy is a really important part of our diet in our house and so having our own milk and making our own cheese we did make yogurt for a while but that's not become a standard thing that we've done okay so you make cheese here as well yeah, yeah. so we usually we don't have any right now because the milk production's dropping off so okay. you can only make cheese once you've got about 10 liters to surplus on top of what you're drinking yeah um and so we'll usually have halloumi is our favorite at the moment but halloumi feta or chev which is the you know meredith's Goat yeah, cheese has yeah. made that really popular. Chef just means goat in French. So right. like goat cheese, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we get from the goats. Cool. And you've got chooks? Yeah, yeah. we've got 10 chooks, which is the most that we're allowed in our area. Is it um, near council regulations? Yeah. 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 Um, and we yeah, obviously get eggs and manure and entertainment from those. <laughs> yeah. And entertainment actually from the goats too, like in terms of none of us are really pet kind of people like in the sense that that we don't actually have dogs or cats and have but we've yeah. loved like raising ducklings and raising chickens and having the goats and um and it's that's a bit more farmish in the sense that it's a symbiotic relationship um and there yeah there's a productive element but it's also you know a warm loving relationship yeah i reckon with them too yeah. yeah. Do you have chickens that get born here as well? We have in the past. We haven't for a few years, so you have to have a rooster or buy-in eggs yeah, that are yeah. fertilised for that. And we've just, it's not been a focus for any of us, but we've had rounds of ducks. The ducks are very cute. Yeah. <laughs> They're really nice. Have you got the um, ducks here as well? I haven't seen We them. haven't had ducks, no, for, for a few years. And we tried again recently, um, ended up giving them to the Bandura children's farm because okay. one flew away we didn't realize that she was actually a kind of duck that could fly and she just took off over there and we like roamed the streets knocking on people's doors saying have you seen a duck that looks like this her name's Jemima and so we ended up taking her um the other one that had been here um yeah. and took her to the farm to live because we couldn't find Jemima um but we did have the ducks for eggs and they're very very beautiful to have around yeah. um but they also make everything really muddy uh, and like their poo's really messy compared to chooks yeah. um and they need a bath and we used to have a bathtub in there but yeah so not anymore yeah okay like, happy with that ducks yeah. now yeah. yeah yeah um any other animals um we do well we've got four hives um yeah of bees out at my parents' place. Yeah. We did used to have two hives up on the roof here, but a couple of years ago we had friends of ours um, who lived in a yurt just here, and they lived here for two years, and one of our friends in the yurt is actually allergic to bees. Right. And I think he ended up in hospital once, and so, uh, like, with a bee singer, we, we just thought, look, we can't risk that. Yeah. Um, so, but I think now that, so they live actually over um, in the hood in the backyard of another block where they've got more space. Okay. Um, and so we might bring the bees back onto the roof just because it's really nice for the garden and to, you know, to have that a bit closer. Yeah. But inside, like, the bench is covered with all our honey harvesting stuff and we're about to make candles and, oh, wow. you know, yeah. do like that cycle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that would be all the animals. I mean, we've got possums and we've got... Um, spotted turtle doves that are not our pets, <laughs> but definitely live off this bit of land yeah. too. <laughs> uninvited. Uninvited, <Welcome>. yes. <laughs> yeah. And I can see, obviously, a lot of plants here as well that you yeah. that you eat too. So, I mean, 
there might be too many to go through, but can you give us a quick overview of what's here as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. So we've got lots of fruit trees. The front garden is basically planted really thickly with lots of different um, citrus and stone fruit. Um, and so we've got we've also got a fair few berries, like there's currants, black and white currants there, and um, raspberries in the front, blueberries that we've never really got anything from, haven't worked out them yet. Yeah. Um, but lots of plums, apricots, oranges, lemons, limes, mandarines. Um, there's a couple of apple trees, we've got lots of grapes. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of veggies, we've got sort of out the front, this sort of um, under the fruit trees is more a perennial herbs kind of going nuts a bit random you yeah. know broccoli that lives you know for years and then sprouts up and you get some <laughs> and then it goes down and um and here we've got more the leftover of the summer mm. veg so a bit of eggplant basil um a few pumpkins still going zucchini stuff like that and then we've got coming up um in the more autumn winter crop would be the like broccoli bok choy um, what did we just put in? Stuff like broad beans, rocket, lettuce. Yeah. We've got perennial silver beet and parsley and around under the apple tree and the asparagus. Okay. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So every day we're getting something from the garden. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually one of the challenges is actually going and getting it to eat it. <laughs> Not the growing it, it's the harvesting. Why is that? Um, it's just because it's breaking that cycle of, oh, what recipe would I like to cook for yeah, dinner? Yeah. And, and walking out in the garden and saying, okay, what have we got to eat? And that's something that I think over years we've done really, you know, we've incorporated that, but it's a very different way of thinking about food. Yeah. It's what's there. Yeah, uh, yeah thinking about it. what's available, what's in season as opposed yeah. to... What do I want? Yeah, yeah, and how creative can you be with zucchinis that are just coming out you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what can you do with them? We found really good chocolate banana zucchini cake recipe. Yeah. <laughs> That's been a good solution. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So the reason I know you is because my sister lives nearby. Yeah. So from what I understand, and maybe you can fill me in a bit more, but there's a few properties or a few houses yeah. in this area that seem to work together yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I every time i try and count up the number of houses like it shifts because people come and go a bit um but roughly over the last five years there's been a collection of people that have come together some owning their properties some renting um mostly communal living so for example in our house two couples own it um in lots of places there's someone owns it and they live in there and also rent out part of their house to another family um, there's the yurt in the backyard of another house. I think I think roughly there's somewhere between maybe ten and fourteen or fourteen households, yeah. and something between thirty and fifty people. I'm not <laughs> sure. Like there's so many babies that are just coming. <laughs> might be pushing fifty. Um, and it's a collection of people that are that are connected as friends or family. So I come from a really big family, and at the moment, all of my siblings live in this collection of houses except for one family is in Norway living there for a few years and that's where your sister's living renting yeah. in that house um, it's all in walking distance the furthest would be um, Seth a friend of ours that lives across Oriel Road and up so like a five minute walk 
and that would be like the furthest house away. Yeah. Um, and the rest is really like, you know, our block backs on to just over here, we've knocked down a bit of the fence and the kids just barely know that it's <laughs> two separate dwellings sometimes it seems like. Yeah. And then across the court, here there's another house that there's a um, sort of a thoroughfare through her backyard yeah. um, into another set of blocks and then across is another from them is another set of blocks and then around the corner is another house so yeah, yeah. we call this the hood we had to give it a name because as soon as it became more than just my family um, living here and it became a bunch of friends and then their friends and um, we had to call it something to say this collection of people living here. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I remember I was over at Rachel's and you, I think you have a roster with the people that milk the goats. Yeah, yeah. So the goats, basis, yeah. the goats would be something that ties about half the people living here together. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely the most organised degree of... Um, I guess collaboration in the hood um, because it, there's two living animals that we care for here and actually it, the care extends to the five goats when we do we once a month we like clip their hooves yep. and that that involves going out to research too but because we're caring for these animals together um, we've never come across any group of people that do this yet where normally you'd have for dairy animals because they're so sensitive to um, their nutritional needs because you know if you think of a breastfeeding mother you, know, you need to keep them well rested and yeah. you know um, well fed and watered so that they don't get mastitis or whatever um, so for a dairy animal you need to really know where they're at and normally you would have one or max two farmers involved in dairy animals okay. and keeping them looked after and well um, and so it's really unusual that we've got I think it's, how many, I think it's something like 16 different adults involved caring for these animals um, and everyone has a milking day either once a week or once a fortnight, either as an individual or a couple um, and that involves coming and milking the goats in the morning, cleaning out the whole yard, giving them fresh water and hay and um, giving them a brush and then coming back at night to feed them and when they're milking twice a day, milking them again. Yeah. Um, and then there's more long-term things like doing a big trip out to St Andrews to get all the um, supplies to feed them yeah. and bring it back in the once a month, caring for their hooves. And so it's quite a complex thing when people want to have their daily life and be quite flexible and, you know, swap around, so that, swap days so they can go on holiday and, um, and whatever. And so that's a big degree of, of collaboration in the hood and it just seems to grow, <laughs> you know. But I think yeah. that we've also developed a system that works really well and we've got different roles that people play and, and it feels like something very mundane but also something pretty extraordinary that we're pulling off. Yeah. You know, no animals died, we've had healthy birth <laughs> experiences, you know, the goats are looking really healthy at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, so we... No one's left hating each other, <laughs> too. Yeah. 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 So. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, i got a couple of different avenues of thinking mm. that I want to explore with you, but I guess the first one is, um, I mean, so you're saying there's, say, between 30 and 50 people that yeah. are involved with that, and I imagine not just sharing the goats, but different people would grow different things on their properties and sharing yeah. the food yeah. and sharing the honey yeah. and that kind of thing, too. Yeah. 
what what a, what does that group of people say about this? So what is it what is it bringing to them? You know, what what is yeah. it, what's the vibe? <laughs> um anytime anyone that calls themselves a hoodie talks about the hood, well, first everyone's interpretation is completely different. So I know for a fact that there are, you know, there's people that that the, yeah, the idea of what, what that actually means is completely different and I think that's the beauty of it. But everyone that talks about it or feel like they belong to this collective of people here or this community um, feels like it's a great and exciting thing because so much of the like general societal pressures are pulling you away from a sense of community and people seem to crave a lot. You know, I'm not saying this from my personal experience, I'm saying like a general... Yeah you know, general um, feelings in our society are like lack of ritual, lack of community. You have to, you know, you have to go out to find that sense of community through institutions like playgroups, for example. Like I've never taken our kids to a playgroup because there are just kids and parents and friends around here pouring out of my ears, basically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to have that, that, that interconnection on lots of levels. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there's also a huge power in it in that if you want to do something, you put the idea out there and suddenly you've got lots of people who are all keen for that idea and can pull it off. Yeah. And so there's a critical mass of enough people. For example, in the yurt, there was maybe for one year a life drawing group that was different every week and it just involved Ewan being the one person pulling it together a bunch of her friends like a bunch of people not from here but a bunch of people involved people would model and and draw and swap that role around and it was just something that that you had a collection of people here that were enough of a critical mass to pull that off yeah um so I think that I think that everyone who would say I'm a hoodie or I belong to this cool community I think it's cool. There's not ever been any like major falling outs or yeah, it's still I would say like early and it's this spontaneous thing and so there's still lots of like magic and excitement. And I'm saying still not that that means that it's ever going to change. <laughs> yeah. But when you hear people talk about um, intentional communities or people have often sort of people that come and visit, people always bring their friends along for example like Rachel's brought you yeah. to come and milk the goats and like just be involved in that aspect of her life I guess um, and people always sort of rave about it like it's got this kind of mystique or mystery about it yeah. but it's on the one hand it is very exciting and I guess unusual that, that there's a degree of collaboration and collectivity and, and a healthy degree of diversity in that community on the other hand it's just people living so there's nothing unusual or more exciting than anyone else's life and it's a to me, the exciting bit is those two bits yeah. together. Yeah. So it's just daily life, but it's also really pushing boundaries. Yeah. I mean, is there any formal organisation or, you know, when you say people just put an idea out there, is it just an email might go around or you might just bump into someone in the street and talk to a few yeah. people? Is it, yeah. Exactly those ways. So there's lots of texts, there's lots of emails that go around, but everyone's email list is different. So for example, <laughs> so... Um, depending on who it is, because there is no like official membership of you're in the hood, you're out, although there have been a handful of people, for example, really good friends of mine that lived across the road here, but then they've moved out. But they're very much, you know, 
part of the hood still. So once a hoodie, always a hoodie has become this kind of like yeah. idea. Yeah. And that you'll still get invited to the communal pizza nights and, <laughs> and you'll still get included in email groups to like, does anyone want to get in on this big booking to go to the circus or, you know, one of the members of the hood is doing a dance performance and then the invite will go out. But because, because there's no official you're in the hood or you're not, whoever's putting an idea out there will include their own friends or their own family too. So it's a very fluid idea of, you know, you draw on, on this group, um, but you do it to the extent you know people. So for example, um, yeah, if Kerry, who now lives just across the road, says, um, I'm baking some muffins, banana muffins. If anyone's got sloppy bananas, bring them to me in the next hour and you can pick up <laughs> muffins tonight. Yeah. Um, she'll send that out to whoever she thinks is home and around. But for example, she might not know Seth that well, who lives over the, you know, who lives a five minute walk away, or she might not have met him yet because she's only been here a while. So she won't have known to include him on the list. And there's no official rule about doing that. Mm. And that's the fluidity of it. Um, is fine and it's um i think the goats would be the most organized and we've had three annual goat meetings so we've had like an agm which is like a joke really um but we've <laughs> got together meeting, once yeah. a year where we said you know how is the goats going and that's about half of the people in the actual the broader hood um yeah so it is it's emails it's texts it's conversations there are so many interconnections of family and friends and who knows who that brings different groups together for different things. And how about things like boundaries and, and conflicts? Have there been many yeah. instances of that that you know, you've come across and had to um, deal with? Yeah, not massive ones. I mean, I think what makes it actually a, re a, a real community rather than um, something a bit more superficial is that there are people with different views and different ideas. So some people, come and see all the gardens and go like, oh, so does everyone here garden? Well, actually, no, not everyone gardens or it's, there's not, not everyone's into sustainable living. It's, there are different things that tie people together. Yeah. Um, and so I think that makes it healthy and there is a healthy diversity of cultures. And um, I can't think of a concrete example of that though. Yeah, I can't, I can't, sorry, I can't give no, you okay. an example of that. Um, we have had, I can speak for myself because I'm like in our household, I take on this persona of like a mother hen like fluffing up her feathers to protect <laughs> her chickens. Yeah. And so because our house, um, early on, um, our house has been a real centre of the hood because we've got the goats, um, because we've got a shed that lots of people come and use the tools from and have like come and done lots of projects. We had the yurt here, so we had lots of people living here. And, you know, every one person brings a whole social world that then, you know, adds to the numbers and we'll have 20 random people pass through in a day. It's just pretty normal. That's died off um, partly by our doing and saying we need a bit of space and we need to reclaim our space. So that's been a... Um, and partly because there's been more people moving to another sort of node of the hood. Um, and... So in turn, so for me, like an issue of living in what is now a very public space, so our public-private kind of world yeah. is one that I've felt like I've had to negotiate a lot, and that hasn't brought conflict, but it's brought up it's brought up these issues of, you know, for for a time that beer tap over there because the homebrew is like a big thing, and there's like maybe up to six people involved at various times in in 
pretty full on all grain brewing and that big sort of brick thing there is the brew oven so it's a big right. you know this is a brewery as well yeah. as other things <laughs> um uh, for a time this deck was a little bit like a pub and we had to kind of wean people <laughs> off that idea it's like actually this is our extra living room and you know this is a um plumbed with a shower and so we have outdoor showers and the water then goes on oh, the yeah. garden and so it's actually our bathroom too yeah <laughs> and so having to say hey if you're coming to visit just check first that it's okay rather than just rocking up and finding us in the shower <laughs> is, is often the case yeah. um so like you can laugh at that but because we're in such an unusual situation like most people are living in our society generally in a nuclear family if they're a family um, but generally living in pretty small groups unless you're somewhere between, I don't know, teens and 35 and in a share house arrangement. Yeah. But that's usually not once you go into families. Um, and so there's people would love to have all their friends just come and drop in so much so you never have to plan any social event, yeah. <laughs> which is our experience. And I guess we've had to deal with pushing back a little bit on that yeah. because no one could imagine the social norm of it just being people are here all the time and that yeah it took us a while to actually feel okay to sit down and have dinner when there were 15 people out here or around to yeah. that it wasn't rude to not invite every single person that happened to be here at dinner time yeah you know so that that's been a um i guess an issue we've had to negotiate but the negotiation's beautiful it's like this dance like a very intricate dance of of trying to pull off something that at the core it's just wonderful um but just wanting to keep like protect enough of the the things that you need for yourself to make you be able to be part of this very collective collaborative yeah. sort of world and give it space to evolve i guess as yeah, well and yeah see and it has it, evolved yeah. it has evolved and that's changed and that's you know it feels we're very happy with the number of friends that randomly pop in <laughs> and the space we have, you know, that sort of, yeah. that's worked, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the origins then of the hood? Was it your, did you move here and it was your place and it sort of came um, from here or how did it, yeah, where did it come yeah, from? Yeah, so maybe seven years ago, something like, roughly seven years ago, um, my husband and I, Edwin and I moved into a house that's just around the corner from here. So we'd lived in Heidelberg West. Me and lots of my siblings and their partners have gone to La Trobe Uni in Bandura. So that's why a bunch of us have lived around here. But um, we lived in Heidelberg West, just really cheap rent close to uni. Um, and then one of my brothers, John, and his partner, Yuki, lived in Rosanna for, I think, 13 years. And when then um, they were in a position to buy a place and they bought a place just around the corner from where we'd been renting and then maybe a year later the current I'm not really sure of the timing but anyway they moved into that place from their rental after renting it out for a while and so then there were two two of us living around here um, and then I can't remember then I think some friends of mine uh, my high school best friend Monica and her partner moved you know around the corner a street away and my brother Felix moved in with us and and um, 
then another brother of mine, Virgil, and his partner moved from Norway, and they moved across Malahang Parade, which is a uh, across Malahang Park, which is a great park just nearby. And that was like a five ten minute walk. That was a bit too far, but yeah. it was uh, <laughs> the closest we'd ever lived to each other. Um, and then we, my siblings and I, inherited money from my grandparents, and the way lots of us use that money was to um, use it to buy a house so that's why me and my partner and my sister and hers we thought well you know you have to do something with this money and but we don't want to be tied to a full-time job to pay off a loan and so we pulled our money together and bought this place um, and moved literally up the street (laughs) from where we were renting Um, and just trying to think the chronology I think then my brother and his wife who had lived just across the park bought the place across the road from my another brother and um, who then there was some then when we moved here some friends moved into our old rental and it just like one thing after another um, happened you know we convinced Edward the, the place went up there um, for sale and we convinced Edwin's brother so it wasn't just me and my siblings it was also Edwin's brother yeah. and another brother of mine moved into the house as a renter there so it just it just it just seemed to go like that and there's never been an official plan and by the time there were a bunch of friends as well as our family we had to call it something and we called it the hood yeah and that was when Ruth who's now five was a little baby um yeah it's, it's, it's just happened and no one ever planned it and I think now there's enough people here that, for example, Rachel and Ollie are looking for people to rent the little um, sort of mm. outdoor, I'm not sure what you call that little, a, a room at their place. Um, and by now when you're looking for people to, you know, if you see a house go up for sale, <laughs> you're like, hey, there's a property yeah. <laughs> coming up. Snap or, it up. Yeah, because now there is enough of a feeling of there is a bunch of people here, there's some cool way of living going on you might want to be involved and that's only been in the last year or two that there's that feeling of something's happening here and we're part of it and it's nice yeah yeah was there any you know you say there wasn't really any plan was there some well inside you um was there some guiding principles or was there some things that you were thinking about when you're a bit younger that you know in terms of a way Um, that you wanted to live um Uh, I can only speak for me and Edwin. I can really only speak for myself, but I reckon I can cover up Edwin, <laughs> but not for anyone else. But, yeah. but for us, um, when we moved, we moved a couple of times in Heidelberg West, but when we moved about seven years ago to the place around the corner where um, our friends Ben and Kath live now, um, we went through quite a shift in our approach to life. So Edwin had been quite involved in, um, like revolutionary socialist politics on uni campus and you know selling newspapers for Greenleaf Weekly newspapers and involved in resistance the socialist youth organization I sort of dabbled in that um but but um at the time we moved around the corner we both went through I guess a bit of a change of thinking instead of like trying to change the world in that kind of way in a sense of like social justice the better the better thing for us to do was to actually change our own lives and to live ethically 
in our daily life and that it's much more of it's not it's not weighing up those two things against each other but we shifted a focus very much to how we live our own life and what impact that has on the world I yeah. guess yeah. so um, a big change we made was selling our car and getting bicycles and getting around on bicycles and and um, tiny little things like that that were that also we've never made decisions purely on ethical grounds it's like when what you want to do lines up with it's really healthy for you and um, it's also a good thing from your ethical standpoint that's when you go and do it and you can almost do like a um, draw a little graph of like there are things that you really care about but they're really hard to do and you might do it because you really care about it. but there are things that are just really easy like riding a bike great for my fitness, great for my mental health, doesn't cost anything compared to a car, great for, you know, envir- the environment. Why would I not do it? You know, yeah. it's actually quicker to get to work on a bike than any, any other way for me in the CBD. So, yeah. so it's a, it was about applying this sort of, applying a, like an ethical kind of critique to how we're living daily. And little bit by little bit, that's definitely been sort of the set of principles that's led us to how we live now and things like I think it's really powerful to grow your own food and to not be part of um, a huge food system that you might disagree with a lot of its underpinnings or yeah so so I think they're like tiny little I guess the power of changing your daily life and what that means has for me and Edwin been part of what's happened here but that's very much our our Perspective and sure. definitely be shared by with Angelica and Mickey, who we live with, my sister and her husband. That's been a lot of, of how we've decided to do what we've done. Um, but I wouldn't say that's for yeah. everyone else. Or, yeah. Yeah, I guess everyone else would have their own reasons yeah. for being part of, like you say, this cool, interesting way of living that's yeah. evolving here. Yeah. yeah. And, a, and a degree, I mean, I guess there's a lot of, like, there's there would be lots of, there would be you know, ethics or having a set of shared principles or a view of the world. There'd be plenty of commonality, but another really sort of common thread, I would say, is living a good life. Mm. Um, And a lot of that, a lot of people are part-time, definitely not everyone, but a lot of people have chosen to work part-time for their paid job so that they've got more time for other pursuits. Um, And there's another, so... One would be like a sort of living it, living based on ethical principles. Another might be living a good life and actually, you know, enjoying the pleasures and I guess the privilege that we have to get to choose how we live a lot. Like I think we are unbelievably lucky um, in Australia and where we are and in Melbourne, you know, um, and enjoying that and making the most of that. And another element I would say is creativity or a sort of an artistic kind of element that that there that there's lots of shared music and um well, I would say even stuff like the guys brewing beer or us doing a big tomato day or you know where we bottle tomatoes for the year or I'd see a lot of that sort of productive food or uh, like the kids playing together there's in my mind creativity is something that flows through that a lot yeah so they would be some of the things that you could say is going on here, but not, you know, no one signs up to it and no one says, <laughs> yeah. I officially am doing this for this reason. There's no written yeah. down manifesto. There though. is no manifesto. And that's yeah. a really big difference to any, as far as I know, any 
collection of people living together and and identifying as a group living together. Not that I've looked into it. I mean, I do. We just not happen to come across, yeah. you know, someone going, oh, yeah, we're doing something like that too. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. Have you thought about how this could, you know, be uh, spring up in other suburbs around Melbourne? Or have you heard of anything else around Melbourne that's happening in a similar way um, to this? Haven't heard of, I mean, definitely heard of cool groups of people getting together and living in a degree communally. Not the same as it's, you know, um, Edwin's brother li used to live in a warehouse, which was awesome and had a whole bunch of different people passing through it. And that was in um, just off Sydney Road. So I think it was in, do you call that Brunswick? Brunswick or Thornbury or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in Brunswick. And, you know, um, I guess, um, so it's not like this is the only cool thing happening in suburban Melbourne <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, but we don't, we haven't happened to come across a collection of people. I, I mean, I guess some of the things that contrast with what would be lots of really interesting collaborative living or groups of people, you know, communities, I guess more inner city is different because people often do come together with shared views of, you know, how to live and come together collectively. That's less common, I'm guessing, in suburbia. And and I think, for me, like, I'm a proponent of suburbia. I reckon it's awesome. <laughs> I love the degree of how close we are, you know, to our neighbours and that we're not, we haven't just bought a big block of land in the bush. So often it's more common, I guess, to have people getting together in inner city settings or in the bush and we haven't come across anyone doing anything like this in suburbia. We also haven't come across anything that's kind of sprung up from without people saying, right, let's get together and do this. Mm, um, so mm. the spontaneity of it and the fact that it's in suburbia, I think are what's cool. The spontaneity and the fact that there is no manifesto, there's no rules about it. It is, there's no official you belong or you don't belong. It's you make it what you want and it's made by the thousands of little daily interactions between all the different people with various others. There's no one person that can speak for everyone. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's really exciting and I haven't come across anything. Um, we did have, my cousin was in New York for a while um, and mentioned to my sister, oh, I've met someone who's talked about like some group of people who are living together and have goats and share them in Heidelberg. Wets. Have you come across someone else? <laughs> I'm like, no, we haven't. I'm pretty sure that it's got that far and is coming yeah, back to it's us probably and it's us. us. <laughs> and that's quite funny, you know, that a story can like can do that. And um, yeah, I don't. There's no reason why it can't spring up anywhere else. The closest I have heard is, um, do you know? a band, they used to be called the Perch Creek Family Jug Band and now they're just called Perch Creek with okay. their latest album um, and they're a really cool band from, I think they're from like northern New South Wales and they're mostly members of one family, mostly siblings um, and anyway I think the whole family just moved down to Preston in the last few years and they you know, bought a bunch of houses or live, live nearby, live pretty collectively. That's the closest that I've heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Come across something. Yeah. Something roughly similar. But that's yeah. all I know about it, so. I wonder, okay, one of the things I'm interested in is um, 
co-living, and one of the guys I've interviewed yeah. for the podcast is looking to conduct a co-living experiment. Yeah, I saw that. that. I didn't yeah. listen to it, but yeah, yeah, I don't know what what does that actually mean. Yeah, and I think he's still exploring what it means, actually. Yeah. Um, a bunch of us went up camping at a permaculture farm just outside Ballarat yeah. to think about how those principles could be brought to a very high-density urban yeah. setting. Yeah. And I think what he's thinking about is even more high-density than what you got here, like even like an apartment block yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And like how could, you know, what would it look like? And yeah. um, initially he's thinking about people in their probably 20s, you know, just yeah. out of uni and that sort yeah. of age group, sort of pre-families. Yes. Um, which is probably a little bit easier to think about. but Absolutely. Um, and and much yeah. culturally much more palatable, I guess, because... Share, I mean, it's share housing is a degree of yeah of of yeah co co living, I guess. Yeah, um, so I I am like I'm fascinated to see how this kind of thing might start popping up organically more and more mm. around the place mm. as well, um, and. You seem to be, um, you know, one of the first people doing it around Melbourne mm. anyway. Well, and as it, we know, like, I'm sure, you know, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> exactly, that we've I'm heard I'm sure of. there's lots more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make any claims, but, you know, yeah. we just haven't come across. Um, so, just to wrap up, I've got a couple of questions that I ask people as, as yeah. we finish up the conversation, but... The first one is, um, this podcast is called Subtle Disruptors and it's about people that are doing subtle, positively impacting things uh, through their work or through their life. What you're doing here is, it's kind of a subtle disruption of urban living, if you like, mm. and people living in the suburbs and a different yeah. way of doing that. Is this something you think about or you daydream about disrupting one day in the future, like outside of this, or maybe it's related to this, but is there, are there things that you, uh, you'd like to be part of disrupting in the future? Um, I hadn't come across, uh, I don't know if you coined it or if it's the, the subtle disruption, like that concept, but yeah. I really like it um, and I'd, I like to imagine that, that it's what you can do in every moment you're living in every aspect of your life. That I remember like earlier on in, with this idea of the hood and every time you stop and reflect on it and I, I remember sort of reflecting on you know, and I wonder, you know, there's no way five years ago you could have told me I'd be living like this or this is what my life would look like. What is it going to be like in another five? And that's so incredibly exciting is what's going to unfold and I have no idea. So I definitely don't, there's never been any plan to where life takes me. Um, but but the idea of this blossoming and continuing and going further one way or another um, and watching the evolution of that and being part of the evolution of that is, is where I think it's at. So not, I don't have like any idea that, you know, in my work life, I want, not my, as in my, my paid job, because I work in a big bureaucracy, I work in state government. Um, there's no, yeah, I don't have my sight set on any other aspect of yeah. of life for that. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I get that too. Yeah. 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 Good answer. Um, and finally, for people that might be listening who are, I guess, on a path of subtle disruption themselves or would like mm. to be, or what's something small that you've done in your own life that's helped you along this journey that might be useful to other people to try or to hear about as well? Something small, something subtle? 
Well, it's really hard because I think the small and subtle things are the really big explosive things at the same time. And for me, a really, like what I would say is if you want to do something, just have a go because it is so powerful giving something a go, something, and my example would be actually having a go living without a car, which in, you know, I was raised where mum drove us 20 minutes to school and back every day. And the idea of, of living without a car in, that was outside suburbs, as I was in research, um, was unthinkable as a teenager. And I remember like dreaming of what car I would get when I'm 18 yeah. and, and, and shifting from that mindset and living in suburbia and going, right, I'm going to ride a bike and we're going to, and Edwin and I sort of at one point decided to give it a go. And that, giving that a go has completely transformed our life because it, it's led to one other tiny little change and to another tiny little change. And here we are now living a life completely different to, I guess, the trajectory we would have kept going had we not made that one little, yeah. got an idea, just give it a go. And I left, I went out for dinner um, the other night with a bunch of people who I'd, I only knew one of to start with. And when I left and was putting on my jacket to ride home and it was in, um, in the city and I was riding out here and, and this bunch of people were shocked that I was riding. And like for me, like riding is completely normal and I know like for lots of people in Melbourne it's completely normal and acceptable that of course you can ride from Heidelberg West into the city and out again and it's not particularly dangerous, it's fine, it's a normal thing to do. But for this bunch of people, I had this reaction like, what, you know, I'll give you a lift to this station. I'm like, no, this is what I do, I need the exercise, I love it, I get to like, my mind sort of rolls over as I ride home, it's perfect. And it was just so, like having that instance of, of saying, ah, oh, it's a mindset and it's a pro an approach. And it's nice to be reminded of where I used to be <laughs> in that particular thing and having shifted to it being a, a, just a norm and part of my daily life. And yeah, I think just having a go and it's very powerful yeah. if, you, if you do have a go and see how easy it is to do something. That's excellent. Mm. Maria, thanks so much for joining me for this chat and uh, letting me sit on your deck and talking about this space. It's been amazing. Thank you. No <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.